Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. For the past 25 years, Leanne Davey has researched and advised teams on how to achieve high performance. Known as the teamwork doctor, she's worked with teams from the front lines to the boardroom across a variety of industries and around the globe, from Boston to Bangkok. In working with hundreds of teams, she has developed a unique perspective on the challenges that teams face and how to solve them. Leanne's clients include Amazon, Walmart, TD Bank, RBC, AMD, Google, Bayer, KPMG, Aviva, Maple Leaf Foods, and Sony Interactive Entertainment. She has experience and expertise across a wide range of industries, but with each client is an expert at showing the audience that she gets them. Beyond her work in the boardroom, Leanne is a New York Times bestselling author of You First, Inspire Your Team to Grow Up, Get Along, and Get Stuff Done, and The Good Fight, Use Productive Conflict to Get Your Team and Organization Back on Track. She is also a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and has been sought by several media outlets, including CNN, NPR, USA Today, The Globe, and Mail, and Forbes. For her expertise on increasing productivity, enhancing engagement, developing leaders, and as one client put it, dealing with the damn drama. As a keynote speaker, Leanne has spoken for audiences as big as 2,000 and as intimate as 20. Regardless of the size, she delivers the perfect combination of education and entertainment that leaders and teams need to get unstuck and make an impact on their organizations. She tells it like it is, including stories about many of the unbelievable situations she's experienced working with and on teams. Leanne, welcome to the One Away Show. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to connect. Uh, so, Leanne, let's jump right in. Uh, what is your One Away moment that you want to share with us today? So, although it sounds kind of like a weird One Away moment in the middle chapters of the book, uh, my One Away moment is a moment in my second job, a couple of years into my second job. When things on the team I was a part of started to go south and I accepted a call from a headhunter, I went through three or four interviews with the thought of leaving the company and uh, just in the midst of literally about to jump ship, uh, my boss came in and said that, you know, that the other person that had been a part of this dynamic that wasn't working um, was going to be leaving the organization and that meant I could uh, stay mm-hmm. and stay on. And, and there's, you know, at least an infinite number of reasons why that was an important moment. But if I were to just sum it up, it was, you know, second job of my life. I was about eight years into my career, things really not going well at work, some team dysfunction, all that sort of thing. And the choice of whether to leave or to stay. And I ended up staying and that's where kind of everything in my life changed uh, trajectory. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for uh, the intimate details of post post college <laughs> life and uh, you know, what these real real worlds like. So, I would yeah. love to know, uh, Leanne, and obviously your background uh, here. What 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 did you find so dysfunctional uh, before? Maybe you knew what dysfunction was in uh, yeah, true career. So, if I back up a little bit, when I came out of university, I went to a place, started my first job. And got into a rough patch with a boss who was quite insecure, who thought I was out to get her, um, spread rumors like that about me, uh, that sort of thing. And so after about six years, I quit that job um, feeling like, you know, that, that there wasn't trust, that I couldn't be myself, that I was being overworked and micromanaged and mistrusted and all these things. And so I quit. And when I quit that job, I thought that the dysfunction was a characteristic of that boss and that team and that organization. So I interviewed multiple places, all with the goal of finding the place where there wasn't going to be conflict and there wasn't going to be dysfunction. So 
the the story, the reason why this turning point was important is I, I thought I found it. I found this place and I worked for a couple of years and oh, this was so much better. And here was a place that we all got along and there's no conflict. And then uh, the inevitable conflict kind of came up. So what do I mean by dysfunction? Or I, I mean, lots of passive aggressiveness, lots of people ducking into one another's offices, closing the doors and whispering and gossiping about what other people were doing and um, a lack of alignment about what the strategy was going to be and what was important and what our priorities were. Um, you know, those sorts of things that just the ick of working in a team where, oh, you know, this person wants something different. We can't agree on what's important, but instead of actually hashing it out and having the conversation, it's all happening behind closed doors and people are giving each other the stink eye and we're starting to form like survivor tribes of, you know, who's on which team. And so the reason it was so important to me was that was, and, and I know it's lame that it took me this long to figure it out, but that was the moment I realized that, oh, conflict and dysfunction wasn't a characteristic of that old boss and that old team and that old organization. It was a characteristic of humans working together when they're um, wimpy and they don't actually have the guts to take issues on. So that's why it was so important to me because it was the moment I figured out Oh, there, I, I can go to a hundred interviews and I'm never going to find a place where this kind of dysfunction just doesn't exist, that it's a nature of humans trying to work together. It's a function of, of that kind of pressure and diversity and all those sorts of things. And I better learn to figure it out. I better learn my own way through it, or I'm just going to get stuck, you know, leaving organizations, sort of serially moving on after a couple of years. Um, and so it was a pretty big moment for me. <laughs> it sounds extremely toxic. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty ugly. It also, wasn't. <laughs> uh, maybe the awareness around that it wasn't healthy and, and considering leaving, but also staying. Kudos to you for <laughs> taking on uh, the wall. So let's let's go to that moment you you could have left you didn't leave yep so you decided to stay in a toxic culture yep and he said everything happened after that you know changed your life forever so uh give us some context here i'm curious yeah, well so um you know i have a phd in organizational psychology i had all the education to kind of know and understand these dynamics um but you know as the proverbial shoemaker's children uh i was as susceptible or maybe more susceptible to them as anyone uh, and that was the moment when i decided that oh this is something very real for a lot of people it's not just real for me and we tend to be pretty conflict averse by nature and when when we don't address things openly, when we don't have a culture where we can sort through those misalignments and, and deal with some of the frictions that come up of working in teams, then we're sort of doomed. And so it became the moment when I shifted my entire practice, my entire career to, you know, becoming an expert in what productive conflict looks like, the role it plays in healthy teams. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And I can't even remember quite how, I'm going to say it was like 13 or 14 years ago that all this happened. And so uh, it set me on this trajectory that has been sort of the purpose, uh, helping people achieve amazing things together is the mission statement of my company. And it all came from realizing that, oh, this doesn't just naturally happen. You can't just put people together and hope for the best. Absolutely. So yeah, that's how it, uh, it really changed how I thought about both my own behavior and I needed to take way more accountability, grow up a bit uh, or a lot. Um, and if I could figure out how to grow up and get along and get stuff done, that my work could shift to helping others grow up, get along and get stuff done too. Yeah, that's that's super powerful. Well, I appreciate you giving some shedding some light on that experience. <laughs> um, so, I guess two questions. Uh, feel free to answer them together or as one. <laughs> Why do humans have such a hard time addressing conflict and creating healthy conflict? And what is your advice, uh, in simple words, to help them to do that? And then when you were at your you know, where you were working that was toxic and maybe it's not addressing healthy conflict. I mean, I'm just curious, did, did it change and did, you know, 
were you a part of that change? So anyways, I'll pause. Okay. So let me just do the first question. So why do humans, why, why do we suck at conflict? <laughs> um, so the first reason is because a millennia of evolution where, you know, we weren't ever the fastest animals. We didn't have the sharpest teeth. We couldn't climb trees as well as many others, but what we did more effectively to survive is uh, we cooperated. It was interesting. I was just this morning, I, I stumbled upon a quote by Margaret Mead, the famous anthropologist. And somebody had asked her, what was the first evidence of collaboration that she ever found among humans. And her answer was she found a human femur bone that was uh, broken and healed. And she said, if you're any other animal and you break your femur, you die because mm -hmm. you can't protect yourself. You can't get food, whatever. But the fact that they found uh, a femur bone that had broken and had the time to heal meant that someone had protected this person. Somebody had brought them foods, you know, all those sorts of things. And I thought, fascinating. And that's why humans ultimately uh, got further, right? As we collaborate better. So if you've got millennia of, you know, the animals that are better cooperators, collaborators, community members living and living to reproduce and those who are, you know, kind of a pain in the ass get voted out of the cave and eaten by the saber tooth tiger, then it's not surprising that when we get to where we are now, that we are conflict averse and conflict avoidant because, you know, getting a long is baked into us. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing wow. is, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> when you kind of stop. And so that's why I try and have a lot of empathy for people like me who don't like conflict. It's like, <laughs> look, we weren't built to like conflict, right? That the only problem now is that, and, and this is a little bit like I think about allergies, you know, like all of these things in our immune system that are there to protect us, those are really, really important. Unfortunately, some of them seem to have a hair trigger now and they trigger to, you know, a peanut protein or we're allergic to pollen or so same is true with conflict. It's, it's good that we, you know, are there and are built to get along and, and have harmonious relations. It's good that we are leery of, of conflict. It's just now we have a hair trigger. It's like, like, okay, I don't really think that that issue, like whether we print the report in portrait or landscape is really you know, a life or death here, but seem to treat it that way. So I love just remembering and empathizing with the fact that as animals and for millennia of our evolution, we were rewarded for not liking conflict. But then our socialization uh, is just as strong. So uh, we have all these voices uh, in our childhood and, and in the way we grow up teaching us that conflict is you know, not polite. Certainly for half the population, it's not ladylike. And so we get the, you know, grandmas telling us, if you can't see anything nice, don't see anything at all. And you know, we get all of these things um, reinforcing the idea that conflict is a bad thing. So it's not surprising that when we get to the workplace, we're leery of uh, ruffling feathers. We're leery of getting, making somebody upset. We're worried that we're going to speak truth to power and we're going to get fired. So there's a whole bunch of logical, mm. you know, they're, they're not great things to believe. They, they don't serve us well anymore, but it makes a lot of sense why that's our default. So that's kind of how we get to this point yeah. of being conflict avoidant. Well, I, I really appreciate the uh, context to uh, how we've evolved as a species, right? Because I think when people approach problems, right, uh, we don't always look at the evolution of who we are as humans and yeah. bring that into context and light. And so to to speak to that in such an eloquent way, I want to appreciate the perspective, but then also the the default trigger side. Uh, you, you talked about, I think you're right. It's natural for people to show up with this fear of loss or this fear of, uh, am I going to step on someone's toes? My, my question for you as uh, more of more the expert here is, uh, <laughs> so when you show up to address conflict, what, yeah. what have you seen as some of the maybe benefits, results, outcomes that when people engage in these behaviors in a constructive way? Yeah. What happens and how do you help them oh, do that? It's so amazing. So let's talk at three levels. So let's start at the organization level. So at the organization level, when you are comfortable in productive conflict, uh, first of all, you are better at making hard trade-offs and taking scarce resources and, and putting them on the things that matter instead of 
the organizations I see where they're like, uh, strategic priority number 27. I'm like, there is no definition of priority in which having 27 is legit, (laughs) not cool. So organizations that are afraid of conflict tend to uh, just dilute themselves, uh, take their resources and spread them thinly across so many things because they're afraid of trade-offs. So focus, prioritization, better return on investment is a big thing. Um, innovation. If you are scared of a few sparks flying, then you likely don't set up the situations that support innovation. Um, and then a third one that's really important is if you don't like to disagree with one another, if everyone's quite protective and defensive, you you don't see risks and therefore you don't mitigate risks and therefore you drive off cliffs more often. So <laughs> at an organization level, there's a lot of benefit when you're comfortable having conflict. At the team level, it's interesting because people tend to think teams with lots of conflict are going to have lower engagement, poor trust, all those sorts of things. When actually teams that know how to have conflict productively are stronger on all those dimensions. I'm more engaged. I have greater trust because I know we can go in and hash it out, that you're going to tell me what I need to hear, that there isn't that water cooler gossip going on. And so actually teams that have great uh, great productive conflict are have higher levels of trust, stronger relationships. And I guess the final level would be personally. And this is one that matters a lot to me, which is Many of us, when we don't know how to stand up for ourselves, when we don't believe that we are able to advocate to get our needs met, uh, then we live with just profound stress. Um, We know that about 47% of people have sleep disruption on Sunday nights more than any other night of the week because they are just frightened about all that's coming in the next week. We know short-term disability rates are skyrocketing, mental health issues, burnout, all those sorts of things. And a lot of it is because people don't feel they can question their workload. People don't feel they can ask for the flexibility to make their job and their family work together, all those sorts of things. So, you know, being good at productive conflict at a very personal level is about advocating for yourself and, you know, allowing, um, work to be a meaningful contribution to your life without letting it kind of overwhelm you. So if you're good at conflict, there are benefits at all these different levels. Yeah. Really interesting. You broke it down organization, team, individual. Uh, And I really loved what you said about at the organizational level, uh, the, for innovation, right. And, and how, let's just say at the team level, people are scared to speak up or to drive constructive, you know, how is innovation going to happen? Because what if they're, they're, they're scared yeah, to, you know, exactly. innovate. Uh, yeah. So the, the common connection all the way down, right, to to the individual level uh, of people going to bed or just the stress of, you know, appe- let's just say appeasing others, right? It definitely yeah. come, comes with a, uh, a burden, uh, so, I mean, you, you really know this stuff clearly. So what, let's go back to, uh, <laughs> I, told you, I, I messed it up 13 years ago. I've spent yeah. the rest of the time figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's go back to that moment because I, I yeah. for those that don't know you, I want to kind of share how this career journey has unfolded. And, yeah. um, so you, you appreciate the breakdown and analysis and all the personal tales there, uh, for when you step back into that role, you, know, you said everything changed after. Yeah. What What were some of the things that have happened? How you know maybe, yeah. Just let's, let's go where you want to take the question. How How have things unfolded yeah, for so you since? Let's sort of start personally. Personally, that was when I started to realize that I had to change my own behavior if mm-hmm. I was going to get the team I deserved. So this is a line I use on myself and I use with other people all the time. You get the team you deserve. And while I was being a coward, while I was being passive aggressive, while I was playing into this survivor, different camps kind of thing, I got a a divided team, uh, a very stressed out team. And that was exactly what I deserved. Uh, So after this moment, when I, I got this, you know, chance because the the person who'd been kind of the center of the team dynamic issue was now gone, I had a chance to say, okay, but I'm not just going to say that that person 
was to blame, I'm going to say, what did I do wrong? What do I need to do differently? How do I need? So I'm way faster now to say, here's what's not working for me. I'm much more likely to be transparent about that, to be um, direct, to be assertive with the person as opposed to kind of gossiping and complaining and bitching and whining behind the scenes. Um, so, so it was a big change in me personally. Not the take you totally off gear and I hate cutting you off, but I, something came to me that I was like, I should, I should ask, did you have any events growing up maybe that you had developed more of these passive characteristics or you never knew how to stand yeah. your ground and be curious? Yeah. So, um, I write about this in the good fight. I'm pretty honest about this in the good fight. My family was terrible at conflict. Conflict did not happen in our house, wow. primarily because of my dad. Um, so my dad was a very sensitive soul. And if people said something to him two decades later, he would still have scar tissue from something they said, even if they hadn't intended it as an issue. So I guess my dad was in my life for, I think, 43 years, and I never heard him raise his voice. And so just everyone in the family kind of played along. That was the culture of our family. You didn't have conflict. It wasn't allowed. It just wasn't a thing. And so I grew up not being good at expressing uncomfortable thoughts, uh, you know, that sort of thing. It, it all had to be very subtle, played out over long periods of time where you pick up on people's body language to figure out if they're unhappy. So yeah, I did. And interestingly, I didn't grow up in a house like some people did where conflict was toxic and there was you know, either verbal violence or physical violence or, or, you know, I'm not conflict avoidant because, uh, I saw, you know, a, a negative form of conflict. I was the opposite. I like, I never saw a positive form of conflict. I didn't know what that could look like. So yeah, that's very true. Good for you for breaking the uh, generational cycle. As they I'm say. trying, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> terrible at it. Like it, it's definitely baked into me, um, but it, it's something now I'm way more conscious of the cost. I still hate it. And then this is something, a theme I talk about all the time is I don't ever expect somebody to stop being conflict averse. I don't expect if that is your nature, if that is how you were socialized, I do not expect you to ever like it. And I will never like it. Um, but what I do say is that you can't avoid it. So now I put conflict in the exact same category as going to the gym. Uh, like I'm two months away from being 50 still hate going to the gym, will never enjoy going to the gym, but it doesn't matter whether I like going to the gym. It only matters whether I do go to the gym. So conflict <laughs> and exercise are in the same boat for me. I don't have to like it. I just have to be willing to do it. <laughs> well said. Love, love, love it. I, and I was thinking of the next book title for you could be called The Cost of Appeasement. Oh, I like it. Well, yes. And certainly you don't need to credit me. I just, just, I love it. Well, and it it is a huge issue, right? And of course, appeasement doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I didn't mean to stop you in your tracks, but um, I'm glad you maybe, because, you know, everyone has a a personal story, usually that ties to the work that they go out and do. Yes. So um, let's go back to where, you were finally at a place where you could maybe reshape culture, reshape maybe the way things were going about that. Yeah. So let's go back yeah. there. So I guess, you know, the first phase after that was I took over the team. I led the team. I, you know, tried to help bring the team out of this funk it had been in to kind of pull people together, to create the rallying cry, all those sorts of things. And, and I did that for a phase because I felt it was important to kind of do my part to heal the team and get the team back on track. But after not that long, I said, you know, I don't want to be the leader anymore. I don't want to be the boss anymore. Now I want to actually go deep into the the discipline, the ideas, the research, the theory, the practice of helping teams get better at conflict. And so then just everything, I started writing about this. I started Mm -hmm. giving speeches about this. And, you know, six years ago, left that organization to found my own company so that I could spend, you know, all of my hours (laughs) dedicated to this. So yeah, Yeah, it's been my, it's been my life. And then I guess in, um, 
in 2019, the good fight came out. And so now I'm kind of the conflict lady. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, it's, it's neat how you, the former company, right. You were at and a lot of conflict or a lot of issues and you could kind of use that experience to, it was almost your testing, maybe your, yeah. your testing ground, your, your ideation zone. Um, yeah, absolutely. You. First, it was my crucible, right? And, right? and I kind of survived the crucible moment. And then, yeah, and then it was absolutely the place to to test, to try, to experiment, um, both with my own accountability for my own behavior, but also then with approaches and methods to help other people kind of stay on the right. So, so now one of the ways I talk about conflict, one of the things I had to figure out for myself is that, um, conflict in a lot of the models of conflict in great books, like difficult conversations and fierce conversations and crucial conversations and all these sorts of things, they all focus around conflict as an event. So the conversation mm. and, you know, conflict is way too scary for me to try and have it be an event. My palms get all sweaty. I feel nauseous. I like, Oh yeah, yeah. The conversation. Yeah. So, um, there's, uh, I should say for an audio purpose that you're just holding up one of those books. So, um, uh, and so, uh, it was really important to me to find a way of getting away from conflict as an event and to start to frame conflict as a habit. So the other way I talk about that is for me, it always felt like conflict was like a root canal. It was like really awful and it took days of pain afterward. And what I was trying to create was a method where conflict is more like flossing. It's just, it's fine. It's just a part of something you do every day and you stay in a good place so that you never need this sort of big blowout conflict, this root canal equivalent. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what a lot of my work has focused on is getting away from the conversation and the event and all those sorts of things where the stakes are too high and where all of us conflict diverse people get really squeamish mm. and instead get to, um, okay, how do we build in some healthy habits all along the way so that we don't ever have to have that unpleasant, yucky, big showdown. <laughs> well, one, I, I love what you were talking about, how, uh, I mean, conflict is just an everyday part of life. Yep, and absolutely. It's navigating that discomfort and the emotions around it and all those things. Yep. So, you know, get used to it. And yeah. like you said, right, if it goes too long without being addressed, well, you are going to have the root canal moment or that you said off the cliff moment. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's well said. And so my question for you is, you know, before you went off in, in, in dig your own company, uh, mm -hmm. and you were pulled in that direction and then to write the book when you were maybe at the testing ground yeah. of this business, I mean, are there any stories that stick out to you when you were there maybe trying to change or test some things that, or, or you did something and it made a big difference or you tested a philosophy that you, you had or a learning and, and, you know, that you've really carried with you. I'm just curious, you know, when you were really developing things out. Yes, a very stupid story that has turned out to be probably the most important stupid story of my career, um, which is at the time, uh, my husband and I took our two daughters camping. So this is in the midst of all of this challenging stuff going on at work and all those sorts of things. And we go camping with this little tiny tent and the four of us sleeping in the tent. And uh, we hear that a huge rainstorm is coming, but we're too stubborn to go home. So we drive to the closest town in search of getting like a plastic tarpaulin, the, like the biggest tarp we can possibly find to cover the tent and cover the picnic table and cover the whole campsite if we could. But when we get there, uh, there is, uh, only one tarp left. It's somebody's returned it. It's like crunched up it back into the bag and it's the best we can do. So we bring it back to the campsite and we tie ropes in each of the four corners and we, you know, start to pull on each of our ropes in the hopes of doing two things. One, getting the tarp kind of tight. So the rain will roll off of it. And secondly, getting it, um, centered over the tent. So based on the way the wind is blowing, that will stay as dry as possible. And 
Um, as this process is going along, my husband, who is on the diagonal from our five-year-old at the time, um, pulls just a little too hard just to prove how manly he is. He pulls a little too hard and she winds up face down in the mud. And yeah, and I have to kind of clean her off and she's upset. And then we finally, she starts pulling again and he's pulling and I'm pulling. And at this point, our nine-year-old daughter gets fed up that it's taking too long and she lets go while the other three of us are pulling and her corner of the tarp comes flying up and this tent is getting soaked. And so this moment, which I should have been thinking about staying dry, becomes this epiphany about conflict and teams because one of the things that had annoyed me for the longest time was that all of our imagery and language and metaphor about teams comes from rowers. I have no idea why the rower has become the predominant, but we talk about we're all in the same boat. We're all pulling in the same direction. Don't rock the boat. We have all of this anti-conflict imagery and metaphor that comes from this rowing metaphor. So in the middle of this experience, getting soaked in the mud, trying to keep our tent dry, I have this epiphany that, oh, okay, this is a better metaphor that really we aren't pulling in the same direction. Just like when you're trying to spread out a tarp, you're pulling in different directions and you're trying to take scarce resources. This tarp was definitely smaller than what it should have been. Trying to take scarce resources and make them go as far as possible and to make to optimize that based on which way the winds are blowing, how the environment is changing, what matters in your company, what your strategy is. And so that epiphany... Um, ended up becoming the um, basis of an exercise that we still do with every single team we work with many years later. It's been published in Harvard Business Review now, um, all from this ridiculous camping trip. So it's always a reminder that some of your best ideas come on the weekends when you're doing something totally different. But it was so powerful to me because you know, this happens all the time. Like my husband trying to pull really hard on his rope. I think he was just so worried about getting it as tight as possible that he had no, he wasn't thinking about who else was on the team and whether he was going to overpower them. And we see that in teams all the time. Some extroverted person, some, you know, person who's in a team with more clout, maybe it's the sales team has, you know, they just run roughshod over everybody else or that, you know, it happens all the time that people pull to, or just the way your rewards and your incentives are set up that everybody's rewarded for how far they can pull their own rope, regardless of whether that means the whole tarp comes right off the tent and everybody gets wet. Um, but also that, you know, my, my daughter who let go of the rope was another really important lesson that there are people who don't like conflict, people who mm. feel powerless, um, people are just fed up who stop advocating for things that matter. And when that happens, people are left exposed. Um, something could go wrong. And so, you know, it was such wow. a, it was such a silly story, but God, I've told it a million times now, but people years later, they were still in their companies. Oh, Leanne, we're still tarping. Like we're still having productive conflict. We're still doing well at pulling in different directions, but making sure that the tarp winds up over the tent and we all stay dry. And um, so, yeah, that was one of my ridiculous epiphanies uh, a long yeah. time ago, but still served me well. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, the two extremes, right. Uh, it's, I'm just imagining that in a company and how that plays out when yeah. someone is overpowering with an idea or thought when someone does yeah. let go, how it does ex expose, yeah. like, I, I like felt that, right. Yeah. Like, like, what, I think what that's if, why it works. It's kind of visceral. It is like visceral. Can, that's a great word. I yeah. Mean, you can kind of embody what it's supposed to feel like on a healthy team. I, it's supposed to feel like someone's tugging on me. It's supposed to feel like I have to like pull. And then if you think about it, think about sales and operations as an example, right? So I always say if sales and operations are not in conflict, sell your shares. Like that is not a good sign because sales should always be pulling on the rope uh, that is customer centered. I want differentiated product. I want a service that really is exactly what this client needs. Can we customize this? And operations should always be saying, can we standardize this? Can we make it more scalable, more efficient? If those two functions stop having conflict, 
the whole thing, like everybody's getting wet in that tent. So yeah, I say <laughs> if they're not having conflict, sell your shares. Um, that's, that's so good. I mean, it reminds <laughs> me, it's so funny you bring this up. Like when we have our sales process or something gets hot or a proposal goes through and our operations, they like our people who are on the account, they, they look at it first before it goes yep. to the client because, <laughs> you know, they've been in too many situations maybe where they didn't get all the details. So you learn by uh, try, trial and error or you, you learn when something goes off the cliff. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's it's some powerful examples here. Um, well, <laughs> obviously, you're the expert here. Uh, so one, thank you for sharing. What a powerful story. I'm glad you, glad you did share that. And <laughs> I'm glad experience. I went camping that weekend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think a lot of like leaders you work with, I'm sure will like think about their own families or in their own life or bit. It's just, it's great. So thank you. Um, so, you know, I, I'm inspired by, you know, how you took these lessons at this company and you said, I, I need to go out and or maybe you said I need to go out and do this for myself and yeah, go and have a message and put a stake in the ground. What what compelled you to go at it on your own and uh, you know leave the company and, and have the courage to do that? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I, I was ten years at that company and it was it was a phenomenal ten years. I I loved it. I have nothing bad to say. Um, and then at some point it was about you know, I wanted to have uh, control over my time. I wanted to create a life with better balance. And I think working in consulting is not a good recipe for a balanced life. You can kind of work nonstop. Um, consulting tends to have a lot of flexibility, but it's flexibility of like, would you like to work 7am to 7pm or 10am to 10pm? I'm like, this is not the kind of flexibility that I need. Um, so uh, you know, all of those things, it was to, to put my mark on something, um, to spend more time uh, doing exactly the work that I wanted to do, to just have it be smaller, have have work fit more effectively into kind of the life I wanted to create. And it was a great decision six years ago. Well, good for you for maybe taking an analysis of oh, what do I want and how am I yeah. going to go do it? So, I mean, just curious, you know, how do you get started? You know, you have to get a book of, I mean, I'm sure clients and, and how do yeah. you think about the materials and the teaching and how you are going to go work with organizations? I mean, I, I, you know, it's different than the typical, let's just say executive leadership coach, in my opinion, that's yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to go, we're going to work on organizational accountability and this, but it's, you know, you, you have a very specific niche of how you, I think work. And so, yeah just curious how you built up. I guess I had built some of it in the previous place. Right. And, and I had thought about this and started to build out the processes. So it was just a matter of when I left, um, there were lots of clients who already knew me, were interested in sticking with me um, and, and came with me into the new company. And then uh, you know, over time, if you're good at this, uh, CEOs talk to CEOs. And so if you become known as being good at what you do, um, having good discretion, um, being fun to work with, then uh, you don't have to do any of your own business development. They really do it for you. They talk to one another about, oh, you know, because being a CEO is lonely. Uh, you know, you hear that all the time, but it's true. And they tend to speak with one another and find places where they can commiserate or look to each other for support. And, and if somebody is talking about the issues on their team or what's not working, it, you know, my name comes up, which is very flattering. Um, and then I get a call. I heard, <laughs> I heard that if, <laughs> if this is the kind of thing going on, on our team that I, I need to call you. So here I am calling you. So oh. it was more seamless than I ever thought it would be. Uh, actually the very first day that, uh, that the company started October 1st, uh, 2015, I was in Palo Alto with the leadership team of uh, Sony PlayStation. And so my very first day of having the business, uh, I was at an offsite with an amazing group of individuals, an amazing team. And I thought, okay, if this is where I am in Palo Alto, you know, doing an offsite with this group on day one, this is going to go okay. No, well, that's a, <laughs> what a great way. Most and that was a fun first day. <laughs> I'm sure most people's day ones aren't that. So no, no, um, it was good. It was yeah, good. Well, you, yeah. you, I'm sure you, you had a good track record prior, like you said. <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, something I loved that you said earlier was uh, when people leaders tell you, "I'm still tarping." Yeah, uh, yeah. 
for you, you know, with your work, what would you say is the most gratifying, fulfilling aspect to maybe this day to day in the short term and then maybe also the long term? There, there's two things that, you know, will instantly bring a smile to my face. So one is watching a team that used to struggle with conflict or have issues, watching them not um, in the first little while. In the first little while, there's this honeymoon period where they just seem to get along really well. And that's a very tentative step. And I'm not happy yet when I see that, because what I need is them to get further, which is that the trust and the skills get to a point where they can really lean into the fight. And they do because they know they'll get to the other side. So that's the first thing that's so gratifying. That's so exciting for me. When I see a team, not a team that doesn't have conflict, a team that's now learned that they can have conflict it'll be okay. Um, the conflict is really focused on making the idea better or making the outcome better. That uh, is so rewarding to see, to see a team having a good fight. Um, the second thing, uh, when this happens, it just often, you know, brings tears to my eyes is when people will say, you know, I actually took everything you taught me and applied it to my wife, my teenager, the issues that we're having around uh, our family's dinner table, uh, you know, the issue between my siblings and caring for my elderly parent. Um, when they take the lessons home and apply it to having healthier conflict with the people that matter most in their lives, that really gets me verklempt. <laughs> like, I really, I'm like, oh man, that's so edifying. So yeah, it's both of those things, either that a team and a business is benefiting from the confidence to have healthy conflict, or when somebody has that epiphany about their own relationships and, and they use it to, um, to get deeper than these sort of superficial, keeping it happy kind of things. And they get to the point where, no, we're really able to be vulnerable with one another um, because we trust one another to to have a good fight instead of, uh, you know, an unhealthy fight. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that answer because I'm just thinking about how anger and conflict can perpetuate uh, in vastly unhealthy ways. And that, that cycle could go years, you know, it could go months. Years, you know? years. Uh, and you're giving such a gift, right? Whether it's at home, in the workplace, I mean, it's all integrated at this point. Someone make you upset at work go piss their spouse off. And so I think it's it's interesting because the impact of your work truly is, is probably extremely hard to measure the long-term, right? Because it's yeah. so beneficial in ways that you just, you'll never be able to get the true data out of it that I'm sure that you right. wish. But right. uh, knowing how gratifying, like you hear people tell you how I've applied this in these areas of my life. I mean, what a what a testament to the importance of, your work and you being the leader behind the work and also the fact that you grew up not even really understanding what healthy conflict was like it was more <laughs> muted and so um what a neat journey right you've been down to now go help others um on this you know path that you, you've been down so i just i'm i'm thrilled in, in how you've gone about developing what you have yeah and there's something something i like about uh, relating to people from a position of I'm somebody who a sucks at this B is terrified of it. So instead of, you know, relating to people from a pedantic sort of finger wagging, you need to be better at this. It, there's a lot more empathy than that. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm with you. <laughs> I hate it too. I still hate it. Um, and so I prefer to, uh, sort of walk beside somebody in this, um, what is a very uncomfortable journey, um, as opposed to kind of seeing myself as having it all figured out. Um, that's just, it suits me better and it's more rewarding. Um, and then I'm just as happy to come on some days and share with people. Oh, I blew it again. Here's, here's where I, here's where I got it wrong. Here's where I took the safe path. Here's how it blew up in my face, you know, those sorts of things. So that just fits my personality better to just say, Hey, let's be completely flawed at this together. And if I've got a few things figured out, I'll share them, but, uh, it's certainly not everything. And it's certainly not all the time. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, what love how you you put that. Something that you were talking, I've been thinking about is, uh, you know, for like, see, there's a good amount of CEOs who I think listen to this from uh, things, messages I've received. I think it's hard for someone to acknowledge that they might need help in this area. Yeah. Uh, and so for younger, less evolved individual who maybe has more emotional work and uh, awareness around the things where they need help, like what would you say? How do you enter a space when someone needs the help? Maybe doesn't know they need it. Like what, what are the signs that, you know, they might could really use your help and expertise? Yeah. So usually it shows up first in business issues. Like that's where you see it, right? It's we're not making the tough calls. We are not um, making trade-offs. We're, you know, going around the same decisions for months and not getting, you know, sometimes you see those and it's easier to admit to those things Mm -hmm. than it is to admit to. And it's because I'm afraid of pissing off one of the people. Like there's a lot of entrepreneurs, founders, leaders who like to be liked and they don't want to admit that making that trade-off, they don't want to say no to somebody because then what if they don't like them anymore? And so it's easier to come at it from what are the symptoms that your business is experiencing? Dilution of resources, risks biting you in the butt, those sorts of things. And then to say, well, what's, what's going on there? Like what's behind that? What those sorts of questions, but the basic answer is if you are a human that works with other humans, uh, this is likely to be an issue for you. So let's deal with it in the flossing sense before it becomes a problem, before it's like, I always say, I'm a water cooler psychologist, not a couch psychologist. I'm not going to put you on the couch and talk about your mother. Let's actually just talk about this before it becomes an issue. Let's get you set up. So I, I don't need somebody to have found that this is ruining their lives or, or requiring therapy. Um, I just require people who know that putting humans together in the workplace under a lot of pressure to perform is, yeah. is just going to introduce these issues no matter what. Totally. It's, <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's really interesting what you said. They show up first in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, but when you maybe look at them holistically, they're probably showing up in a lot of other areas of their life. Absolutely. They almost always are seldom. uh, Does somebody not have a bit of a, and some people share and some people don't, but there's almost always uh, a few lessons that need to be applied in the most important relationships in your life, not just uh, with your coworkers. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wow. I, I, um, I just love the angle and approach to, to your work. I, I, I'll tell you, if we get time after, I'll tell you why it resonates so much. Okay. Um, so you, you wrote a book recently called The Good the Good Fight. Yep. Uh, you speak on this, uh, published in great places, but tell the audience, you know, how did you write the book? You know, why did you write the book or feel the need to? I mean, I, I mean, of course, but like from your perspective, you know, if someone was to read it, you know, what would you want them to think about as they're going through it. I think about it as, so just in terms of why I wrote it, because my previous book, you first had embraced productive conflict as a chapter and everybody kept going to that chapter. Like, okay, but how, but what, like but why? But, and so it was clear that, oh, okay, we need to, you know, dig down on that topic. Um, what would I tell them about the book? I always say it's two books in one. So the good fight um, for people like me who, tend to avoid conflict and things like that. It's a book to help you understand why some things are worth fighting for. Um, And so it's very much about changing your mindset around conflict. um, and, And that's kind of one book and one audience. It's just as much a book focused on the good part, which is there are some people, especially where you live, uh, who just, you know, very high IQ, pretty low EQ. They get into fights because it's not, it's not personal, it's business. And they just hash it out about the ideas um, and they leave a lot of collateral damage. And so for them, this book about is, is about how do you have that fight, but in a way that's good, that um, gets to a better outcome, that doesn't derail productivity, that doesn't erode trust, that doesn't increase everybody's stress levels. Um, so it's really two books and, and depends on who you are, how you read that book, whether you read it as uh, 
um, a manifesto around the things you need to start fighting for, or whether you read it as a manifesto about how you need to learn a few skills and grow up a bit in, uh, in how you have conflict to reduce the collateral damage. So it's both of those. It's two, two, two books in one. Yeah, that's so special. I, I mean, I, it seems very intentional the way you constructed it and also taking that feedback from book one, right? And yeah, to, yeah, to absolutely. Build, to build on uh, the where, where things are going. Well, Leanne, this has been a treat, uh, truly, uh, just to talk to you, learn from you, uh, share, share your message. Um, where can people find your work, books, site, you know, yeah. all, all the things? Um, so two things I'd say, leannedavy.com which other than the spelling is pretty easy to find. Um, but I assume we can, the proper spelling will be in the show notes, so it's okay, but leannedavy.com. Um, and there are hundreds of free resources and articles and posters and exercises and all sorts of free stuff there to help you, you know, create the team that you deserve. And then if you want to engage with me, I am constantly trying to create the living room of LinkedIn, where you can sit on the couch and have amazing conversations with cool people around the world about topics in healthy teams. So find me on LinkedIn, join the conversation. Uh, and it's a super fun place to, to engage. Love it. Uh, you're not a couch therapist, but you're trying to create the living room. That's a good point. Okay. The water cooler. I I'm creating the water cooler. That's a really good point, Brian. I'm creating the water cooler on LinkedIn, the spot where we can all gather around and have the juiciest conversations about work. Um, uh, so far so good. I think in the last 60 days I've had, um, 4,000 comments on the LinkedIn posts. So uh, it, it's hot and heavy over there on LinkedIn and we're having some really fabulous conversations. So. Well, well, things are stepping aside from LinkedIn uh, <laughs> to uh, have more of a- uh, <laughs> A more in-depth conversation. Front, front porch awning conversation. Front porch, I like it. <laughs> I just need the rocker. Yeah, there or the we swing. Go. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Leanne. We'll make sure to share with our audience. Excited to do it. Thanks so much, Brian. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.